Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings and welcome to another installment of the Gist of Freedom Estate. This show is produced by acclaimed historian, educator, and author Leslie Gist and serves as our weekly live online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience by honoring all the people past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. We thank you for joining us tonight, and we'd love you to be a part of tonight's discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347-324-5555. Hello, this is Leslie Gist. We have a great show for you tonight on the Gist of Freedom. Um, we have uh, Dr. Sydney Davis and Ms. Stella Antley. Um, we are here tonight to talk about the United Nations, the memorial to honor the victims of slavery. It's a very long title, and I don't feel like saying the whole thing. That's why Dr. Davis is here. And Stella, they're, they're going to discuss how this memorial but before we start, we have to talk about a little bit about what's going on today in our society as far as these unarmed black men uh, being shot uh, and injured and killed at the hands of the police. And then we could dive right into the United Nations. Dr. Davis, can you say hello to everyone and introduce yourself? Hello, can you hear me? Hi, yes, Hello? All right. All right, Dr. King, uh, Stella, I know you're there. Doctor, can you just give the audience a, a short, brief intro and give them your take on what's going on in society today? Okay. Um, this is uh, My name is uh, Dr. Sidney Davis. I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I am a... Uh, Independent researcher of uh, African prehab, um, uh, African history, prehistory, and uh, culture, spirituality. Um, with regard to what is going on in our country today, it is something that um, I think most of us as African Americans have always known has been taking place in our communities for some time. It is just now getting worldwide attention. And with the worldwide attention um, being displayed on the media, um, it is if it is thrown in our face, as it were, and we have no choice but to react to it in the way that we have been reacting to it as opposed to how we have been dealing with it in the past because it has never been recognized as something as systemic as it is uh, being recognized now. Uh, Any attempt previous to this to try to bring attention to our plight and to the brutality that we have been experiencing historically have fallen on deaf ears and have have never um, made it to uh, the media attention that uh, it is getting now. So in in light of the fact that it has received world attention, it is incumbent upon us as a community to show our uh, reaction to a historical problem that has always been happening. And so this is what we're doing. This is what we see happening. Um, Like like I said, this is nothing new to us for for those of us who are in the black community. But uh, now that... Um, because of uh, the technology of the age with the uh, ability to be able to record this and now the media to pick up on it and to um, display it before the world, this is the opportunity we have now to show uh, our uh, how we react to this. And so that's now we see since, um, um, you know, beginning with Trayvon Martin, you might say, and continuing, continuing, up, to, up until to now and probably till tomorrow, we're going to see these kinds of things being displayed and being um, um, 
um, laid out before the world uh, to see. Um, uh, there's a lot more I can say about this, but I don't want to take up all the time. I would like to have uh, Stella. Correct. I, I agree with you, Stella. Yes. Uh, Stella, before you start, could you just give us a brief rundown of some of the victims? That we the rundown, I'm sorry, on what? Uh, some of the some of the victims of police brutality okay. the cases that, that are in the news right now. Okay, my name is Stella Anthony, and I am a direct descendant of a slave that's holding me uh, as an infant in the five-generation picture. So this is all very close to my hard strength because I know that she had to live under adverse conditions that in, in the 1800s that I'm facing in the, you know, the 21st century. Um, runaway slaves, this uh, kid, Freddie, um, Gray was shot because he or was trampled on because he um, gave eye contact to this captain uh, and then ran. Uh, runaway slaves were hunted down like this and there was a time where a black slave could not look eye to eye to a, a white man and let alone his woman without being lynched. So to see this kind of reoccurrence coming back it uh, it just chills me me to the bones, I was happy to see that Hillary Clinton made a comment today uh, which she's addressing uh, the uh, violence that's happening uh, in our streets in all parts of the country, and she admitted that there is a disparity between black and white and that this kind of violence cannot be sustained, and um, a third of our uh, black population are either incarcerated or going to be before they reach adulthood. I think it's systemic to the nature of the beast that we were once owned and produced, and now that we are not owned, we're considered onuses on the on the society and on the coffers of tax dollars. Uh, so I think that's a driving force because anytime there is a slight depression or, um, you know, finances are not, what they should or used to be, uh, people start looking around for victims. That's what happened in Nazi uh, Germany with the Jews. Um, uh, with Hitler, I believe uh, Rodney King was the beginning of the uh, curve, and um, now they're just seeming to feel that they, I believe also that because we don't speak out when we do black on black crime, that the police who have to go and investigate and they don't do a very thorough job, um, they feel that, well, they don't snitch on each other and they don't squeal, so we can shoot them and get away with it as well. As Dr. Davis says, uh, because of the camera, phones, uh, people are, their actions are being more exposed, but we don't say anything when we kill one another, and that also has to come to light. I mean, we can't just always point the finger, but... Um, to allow white police officers to to kill us in this fashion, uh, like runaway slaves, is important for this for this generation. And um, right, I just believe okay, we have so, to do something ourselves. Right, and and this is a great segue into the monument. So uh, before we talk about the memorial and the, and the tribute, um, let's get a backdrop of the slave trade industry and where is America on the timeline as far as when did America enter into slavery or when was it adopted from Great Britain? Um, Dr. Davis. Well, you know, slavery has, <clears throat> well, we'll just talk about um, American slavery instead of the whole institution of slavery as it has, as it has uh, existed since uh, the Arab conquest. Uh, beginning in uh, 600 uh, of the seventh century, uh, the American mm-hmm. or the British slave trade, I might say, um, began in around 15 um, around 1540 uh, or so. Um, the first British ship to sail out of uh, England to the west coast of Africa was uh, captained by. Uh, Sir Richard uh, Hawkins, who was commissioned a ship by Queen Elizabeth called um, Jesus of Lubeck. 
it went to the west coast of Africa, took a uh, cargo of slaves, and brought that cargo of slaves to um, North America. <clears throat> so we might say that the beginning of the British slave trade began then. Um, however, uh, the slave trade from the west coast of Africa had a, a history going back even further than that, uh, beginning with uh, the Portuguese, then the Spanish, and then came the French, and then came the Dutch, and um, and then the English, and and it had been a flourishing um, trade uh, that uh, was the basis for the world economy, uh, which fueled uh, the world economy, and that would that provided the um, the uh, infrastructure for the uh, industrial uh, revolution. Um, mm-hmm. and Which country ended that trade oh, from now? That, that trade from now to the time when it was abolished by Britain, eighteen oh seven, was about four hundred years. Okay. And which country was the last country to end slavery, as we know it? Well, um, when when the British abolished slave slave trade on the west coast of Africa, uh, what ships began to do was to go on the east coast of Africa and try to bypass uh, the um, British patrols um, who were on the lookout for illegal slave trading. Um, they would go to the west coast of Africa and to the slave markets of uh, um, um, uh, on the east coast and take slaves um, that were from the east coast and bring them around the uh, um, the Cape of mm-hmm. Good Hope, uh, the Cape of Africa, the southern the southern point of Africa, and and make their way around and bring those slaves over to. The, the, new, the new world. So that went on until about um, uh, almost until um, um, 1860. So the last slave, the last slave trip um, recorded in the, in the, in, in the, in the literature uh, took place at around 1860 from a slave ship um, that sailed from um, East Africa and landed in Cuba. Okay. So which country had the most um, uh, Africans that were enslaved, and which country was the last one to end slavery? Because I'm thinking Brazil. Yeah, um, Brazil... Um, Brazil was under the Portuguese, um, and the Portuguese began the slave trade, um, beginning um, with, the, with the kingdoms uh, on the west coast of Africa, uh, the Congo, the Congo, and, and Angola mainly. And most of the slaves Brazil were taken from the Congo and Angola. Um, and those are the countries, you know, Angola, uh, Guinea-Bissau. These are the countries that speak Portuguese in Africa. And um, and Brazil was a Portuguese colony, and Portuguese is what they speak in in, in Brazil. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, so so uh, it was Brazil. Um, the, the the countries that were last on the west coast, in any case, were were um, were the Congo and Angola. Mm-hmm. Okay, now that we have the backdrop of the history of the slave trades and and everything about slavery and how it moved throughout the centuries, now I think we can talk about how the UN um, came about this memorial, and they call it the Transatlantic Trade um, Memorial as well as slavery. So can you just dive into it? I'm not going to ask too many questions at this point. I'm just going to let you two take over the show at this point. Well, I think that uh, I would probably like to start with how we came to the understanding or into the uh, knowledge that this slave memorial was about was uh, uh, about to be um, dedicated, or not dedicated, but to be unveiled, that it even existed. Um, this was something that, you know, was new to me, um, 
um, at the time that it was brought to my attention, and it was brought to my attention um, by um, by Miss Stella Antley. So I would like for her to tell us how it came to her attention and how she brought it to my attention. Okay, very well. Uh, I was um, trying to get to, well, I saw the um, uh, a, a newspaper article about the last deal being unveiled for the UN Memorial for Slavery. Uh, this was the latter part of February, early March. I immediately began trying to see how I could be invited to it so that I could represent the slaveholding me. And I made several calls to my um, congressional delegation because I've helped most of them get elected. And I was passed around and I was told that, you know, no one could help me or they weren't getting a ticket or someone else should help. Eventually, um, Mrs. Elma Banks, who's the Queen of Harlem, is supposed to be joining us on this conference call. She may call in. Uh, She attempted to get me an invite through the Deltas because they have Delta Week at the UN every year. Um, to no avail as well. Um, eventually, I was, after I told Dr. Davis he was going to be in New York on business, having just returned from Africa, he had some people to meet there with, and so he had me contact, I was contact, he had me contact the Queen Mother of Harlem, Miss um, Blakely, who's also the official mayor of Harlem by Giuliani. She, in turn, sent me a memo of invite from a John Clark, who's a council general of Jamaica, and the inside salutation was marked, Dear Jamaican, Dear Fellow Jamaicans. And there was a personal note written, Please make sure you invite all of your Jamaican and Caribbean friends. Well, I immediately questioned why I didn't see any mention of African Americans, and I asked, Queen Mother, why, and she said, I needed to contact the UN, the Jamaican mission, and I asked why, and she said, that's who was handling it. So upon further investigation, I found out that they were in fact vanguard for this entire event, and um, so I, I contacted John Clark, who was in Jamaica, and he suggested that I speak with a Kurt Davis with the UN. But this was the 11th hour. This was like the 23rd or 24th, and I never heard back from from him. So then we just started working from that point on as to investigating how many people knew of the unveiling. Uh, Dr. Davis, who's very prominent and always involved in things of this nature, he knew nothing of it. Uh, Velma, who lives in New York, Harlem, she didn't really know anything about it. I talked to friends in Georgia and North Carolina, um, the Dewar family, who was one of the um, white slave owners in uh, Providence, Rhode Island, the largest slave importers, uh, 50% of the slaves came through uh, Providence, Rhode Island, and he was the second richest man in America at one time during the height of slavery. And um, James Dewolf, he was not invited and didn't know about it. So that's when I decided that we needed to find out why more blacks, uh, African Americans, were not prominently you know, visible at at the dedication, and that's how it all began. So from that, it became um, very um, um, obvious that um, the only ones who were privy, it apparently appeared that the only ones who were privy to this this, um, unveiling were the Jamaican contingent. Uh, they were the ones who had sent out the invitation to um, the Caribbean community to attend um, this unveiling. And on its face, it appeared to me, and I believe it appeared the same to uh, Miss Antley, that the African community in uh, in the United States were uh, were not aware and we're not we're not informed and it would appear that we were not invited um based upon what we saw from the uh the invitation issued by the Jamaican uh um mission to the UN and that made that made us feel 
excluded, as if we were excluded or we were being ignored from an event of which we probably had the greatest uh, uh, investment in and being a part of. And um, so we wanted to try to get to the bottom of why this was the case. Why was it that the African community at large um, didn't seem to be aware of this uh, unveiling? And we wanted to try to ascertain as to who may have known. And in canvassing, um, you know, some organizations and some uh, news outlets as to whether or not they were aware of this event, um, we got the... uh, uh, the response that it was not known. They didn't know about it. And uh, we began to think, well, why didn't the Jamaican mission invite all uh, those who were affected by um, the slave trade and uh, and just uh, only uh, extended an invitation to the Caribbean community? So, you know, mm-hmm. naturally, on the face on the face of it, it, uh, it looked as a slight to the African American community that we were left out, as it were, or we were we were ignored, and and as a consequence, were not a part of what we believe was a very significant event taking place at the United Nations. Okay, so I think this is a great opportunity. <clears throat> I think this is a great opportunity to now educate people on the role of slavery in the Caribbean. Um, you know, with um, Denmark Vesey and. Lovachore and Marcus Garvey, and maybe these are the people that they feel, you know, uh, had a lot to do with ending slavery, and maybe they felt they were privy to spearheading this event. So let's just talk about the role of slavery in those areas. Well, um, you know, slavery in the Caribbean or in the Anglo colonies, um, was a bit different than, experience, uh, than the experience of slavery as we experienced it here in the United States. The, the type of slavery that <clears throat> we experienced here in the United States was a unique form of slavery. Uh, peculiar was, institution? This is why it was called the peculiar institution. In, in the United States, the slave the slave enterprise was referred to as the peculiar institution. And why was it, uh, why was it peculiar? Why was it peculiar in the sense that it was different from any other type of slavery um, that existed, not only um, within the context of the transatlantic slave trade, but in the history of slavery since the world began? There has never been the type of slavery that was exercised in the United States of America as we have seen in other areas of the world to today uh, and throughout history. Um, the, the character of slavery in the United States reduced the human being to the status of chattel. And not only was it uh, a slavery that permanently enslaved an individual for life, but it was a slavery that it was a slavery that was not only permanent to the individual, it was permanent to his entire posterity um, forever. In other words, not only was he enslaved, but his children and his children's children, all this is, it was a hereditary uh, slavery. Um, um, it was a slavery that was, as I said, reduced to the status of chattel slavery, where we were reduced um, to the uh, status of animals. And, in fact, uh, we were legally considered non-human uh, as um, in the Constitution of the United States. States. In the Constitution of the United States, we were recorded three-fifths status of a human being. So this made it peculiar in that sense. Uh, 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 one second, one second, doctor. Before you sure. continue, the three-fifths clause, it was an anti-slavery clause, not a pro-slavery. It was a, it was a, a number that was used to keep the slaveholding states from attaining more political power by counting people that weren't considered citizens as a citizen so that they could get more representation, and, and we're going through it right now with gerrymandering. 
Um, for instance, if they if small communities, mostly all white communities, are benefiting from let's say a prison in their community, they can get credit for the population, even though the prison population cannot vote, yet they'll get um, political power. So the three-fifths clause had nothing to do with being human or uh, inhuman. It had everything to do with the abolitionists in the North making sure that there was a balance of power. But I'll let you continue. Well, yeah, what you say is legally true but wasn't practically true uh, as it applied to the experience of African Americans in the United States. Um, um, this uh, this is an argument that really needs no, um, you know, we don't need to belabor, uh, belabor it because it is something that is referenced by um, our great uh, African American historians. But being that as it is, the fact remains that we were not accorded the full rights of humanity. We were not even considered to have, uh, we were not considered to be human beings because we didn't have souls. Um, and it didn't matter whether or not one was uh, uh, a heathen or a Christian. The, the, what made us different, that it was a slavery that was based solely on the fact that we were um, African or that we were black. It was a racial slavery. Um, slavery in the Caribbean um, uh, was somewhat different because in many cases, if not in all cases, the African American, the African population in the Anglo um, um, territories of the Caribbean exceeded the population of uh, the English. And they were oftentimes in a position to press for their rights and to press for their liberties, in which in many cases they did. And, uh, and in those cases where they were able to, they were accorded um, the respect of treaties and the and the privileges of uh, of um, of uh, receiving the benefits of their work, being able to receive the benefits of the work in the same way as uh, a, a British uh, uh, plantation owner. Um, but that was not. Um, what the situation was here in the United States. So um, so in that case, in, in that respect, it was a peculiar institution. Uh, I want to allow Deborah mm-hmm. to comment if she has anything to add. Not only that Thomas Jefferson, President Trump, also considered us as being subhuman, that we just were not, we didn't have, as he said, souls, and that we were subhuman. And I think that the diaspora that we're talking of, diaspora that we're speaking of, of that gives the Jamaican community um, the right to be members of the United Nations while we do not have that, and slaves, slavery permeated this country um, ten times more than Jamaica because we had more slaves here. Um, the Maroons that we, that that had the uprising, the Amistad that that had their uh, way of getting back to uh, Syria, Leon. All of that attributes to the fact that we were not here by choice. And once we were freed, we still were not able to gain equal access to, to the American dream. And we still don't have that, and that we were excluded from the the correcting or unveiling of the um, slavery monument and that Jamaicans um, brought in their prime minister, Portia, and um, had speakers from every part of the world. But uh, there was also a Marvin Lee that went on Facebook and he was invited to join us. He hasn't called in. I got a call while we've been on. I don't know if that was him or not, but... He commented mm-hmm. that there was such a very low showing of African Americans at this monument, and I think that what we are trying to achieve here, uh, and I should go back a little, um, Dr. Davis. But Stella, before you go mix. back, this, yes. Before you go back, Stella. Um, so you're saying that the the countries that the the countries and Africans that were enslaved that come from or the Africans who were enslaved that are attached to a country and identify with another nation had representation in the United Nations, period. And we were probably excluded because we're lumped in 
with the Mer- the uh with America. And if we had our own representation separate and apart from the Americans um representative, maybe we would have been included. That's exactly what I'm saying. Thank you, Leslie. Um I I I know we would have been because we should have been more prominent and, and posthumously uh, there than 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 West Indians. They they don't they don't they're not from this country. Um, most of them are here on visas. Uh, they marry to state three times citizens. For them to be able to arrest anything and not honor our ancestors is just atrocious. And I found it hard to believe. And I kind of lost interest in even going when I realized that this was all Jamaican-driven. However, they they were uh, in Jamaica for the sugar plantations. We were here for the cotton but mm-hmm. we're still brothers and sisters from the diaspora. From we're, we're all from Africa. I understand that a bus left Connecticut from from where I hail, and um, it was all Jamaicans. And so no one right. disseminated this information, even to the periodicals. And this Marvin Lee that I was mentioning, and if he's listening, how are you, Marvin? I'm sorry you couldn't join us. But he went on Facebook, and he's with the uh, Afrocentric News, and he uh, mentioned that, we had such low presence and none of the um, black periodicals really even knew anything about this dedication. Um, They have been um, observing uh, um, the abolishment of slavery at the United Nations in a resolution that was passed in 2006, implemented Mm -hmm. in 2007, I believe, and all relegated over to the Jamaicans to handle and I've never been invited. I didn't know anything about a UN uh, observance every well, year for the abolition of slavery. Well, I you're was in the invited, media, so. Stella, Stella, I was invited, and you're right. And the money that was being raised for this monument. $107 million, $107 um, million. Right. It, um, most of the events were banned um, by the Jamaican community, and they had Jamaican exactly. entertainment. And and I looked at the events and I said to myself, well, I'm, I don't even know any of these people, so I never attended to, attended them. But do you think we were slighted by our American representatives at the United Nations? Absolutely. Or really by the Jamaican? There's no thinking in it. I know the U.S. Congressional Caucus had to know something about it. I just can't fathom where the um, where the split happened, but there's some kind of chism that happened that separated the, the flow of information However, there is an office that Dr. Davis discovered that's part of the uh, resolution of that uh, awarded the funds and uh, the proclamation to, to observe this. And part of the language is so that resolution adopted by General Assembly on 17 December 2007 um, that says a permanent memorial to the remembrance of the victims of slavery in the transatlantic slave trade Recalling this resolution um, in 2006, commemoration of the 200th anniversary of the abolishment of trans-election trade, slave trade, recalling also the designation of the 25th of March as the International Day of the Commemoration of the 200th anniversary of the abolition of slavery. So we've never been invited. I, I knew nothing about this annual commemoration at the United Nations. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, focusing on the undertaking to implement that paragraphic and skip all of that. And countering the legacy of slavery and contributing to the restoration of the dignity of the victims of slavery and the slave trade, recognizing right. how little is known about the 400-year-long transatlantic slave trade and its lasting consequences throughout the world and welcoming the increased attention that the General Assembly commemoration brought to this issue. Um, we okay, do, Stella, let Dr. Let Dr. Um, Davis in a little bit. I know you have something to say, Dr. Oh, yeah. We'll come right back to you. Yeah, soon. I won't take long. I just wanted to know first, how were you notified, uh, Leslie, of this event? Um, via emails. I get uh, emails from the United Nations quite often. And um, oh, really? I, I know. And was this yeah, email I know, from the, was this email from the Jamaican um, from the mission, or was it just a regular um, general email from the UN itself? The from the from the UN's marketing department. They hire outside 
company. Really? To yes, and I, I've, okay. I've I've been in contact with that company. Since. And, that, and so well, how was the very first associated with the UN? You were on their mailing list or their email list, yes. and you, exactly. by virtue of that, you receive um, um, notifications of certain events taking place in the UN. Right. Right. And, so and normally, you, normally, you, normally, no one would, uh, no one would know that unless they were somehow attached to the UN media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what happened? The very first event I went to at the United Nations was with Sam Pollard's screening of Slavery by Another Name, and that's when I heard about the monument and how much money they were raising, and Sam Pollard's African American NYU professor. Um, so that's how I got involved, and and it wasn't a direct email from them. It was through someone who invited me to the screening at the UN. But um, a quick question. You know, as African-American, when we compare our slavery to Jamaican slavery, and you talked about not having souls and so forth in the peculiar institution, how long was Jamaica colonized? How long did it take for them to be to abolish slavery? Because many of them are here in the United States. So can you just talk a little bit more about how long, um, you know, the Jamaicans were colonized and enslaved? Well, the Jamaicans were part of the Anglo um, um, colonial enterprise. Mm-hmm. In other words, they were under the they were directly under English rule. English, and uh, the English abolished slavery. Um, I believe it was on 25th of March, 1807. And this is the reason why 25th of March, 2007, was supposed to be the 200th anniversary for the abolition of the transatlantic slave trade. It came through British Parliament in 1807. So effectively, in all Anglo-held territories um, held by the British Crown, um, slavery had been abolished in 1807, whereas... um, it wasn't abolished in the United States until around eight legally. Eighteen sixty five. No, no, it was around it was around eighteen around eighteen close to eighteen fifty, eighteen forty seven if I'm not mistaken, it was abolished legally um by the United States. But however, it did not stop the flow of the slave trade itself. The the flow of the slave trade continued up until um um you know the end of uh, civil war. Well, practically the that was eighteen oh three. Civil war. Yeah, the civil uh, war. Doctor, it yes, was eighteen oh three. It was eight. It was eighteen oh three when they said it was illegal to import um, Africans into the country. Into the United States. Written, right, just the United States. Yes. So I, yeah, I can was, see why they take their claim. Yeah, they, they, they right. It was illegal at some at one point at some point uh, to import right. slaves. But this was not enforced. It remained okay. only. It only remained on paper that it was illegal, but it was never. Um, it was never. No, it was enforced. It, it, no, it wasn't enforced. I have, a, I, have it was, a, I have a. Uh, I have a book that I'm reading that I have just finished mm-hmm. reading called Black Cargos: A History mm-hmm. of the Atlantic Slave Trade. That gives the whole um, history of the slave trade. Um, uh-huh. And this is this is where I'm getting my my information from. It's called the so, history of the as, as a great book, Black Cargo. Black Cargo. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll just tell yes. you briefly um, where I got my information from. During my genealogy genealogy research that started in '98, my family I looked back on the records and they were given a lot of property uh, to um, uh, churches and schools called Pickney Pickney schools, Pickney Church, Pickney everything. And when I researched Pickney, South Carolina, come to find out Pickney was an anti-slavery um, port. And, in fact, there was an Amistad type of case in Pickney. It used to be the first capital of South Carolina. And the very first Pickney was a signer of the Constitution, and he was an abolitionist. Now, I don't know how hmm. South Carolina ended up becoming so pro-slavery, but the Quakers were in South Carolina originally in the colonial era. So in, so it was the same in Georgia. But to make a long story short, come to find out that um, there is a fort in Pickney which involved stopping a, an illegal slave 
um, boat ship from entering. And the case is called the Pickney and the Pickney Castle and the Pickney Fork. Um, as a result, as the, as the state became more and more enslaved and pro-slavery, they shut Pickney down. And there's nothing left in Pickney except mm-hmm. um, one little uh, a jail cell I hear. And it was also known as a route, a stagecoach route from Pickney all the way to Philadelphia. That's why I think the South Carolina to Pickney, I mean South Carolina to Philadelphia Underground Railroad route used that stagecoach. But I agree with you that it was probably uh, enforced very little. But the, at the very beginning, when yeah, the country was, was formed, uh, uh, it was really it was, only, it was really it was enforced. There was only one person who was ever caught and executed for violating um, that law, and that was uh, in 1862, uh, where an American slaver uh, was convicted, and the only one who was ever executed for violating the law. But up to then, it had been going on contrary to American law, where slaves were being smuggled um, into the United States through different ports. Usually, they came. Um, via the West Indies, uh, usually from Cuba, was smuggled along through um, Galveston, Texas, New Orleans, and Florida, and from there into the uh, um, the slave states. So uh, it, it may have been effectively closed along the uh, eastern seaboard, but it was mm-hmm. not entirely suppressed until, um, I mean, you know, eliminated until 1862, according to this. Um, right. You know, James, James right. Bowie, during the time of the mm-hmm. Texas Revolution, was a great slaver, and he he obtained his slaves from the pirate Lafitte, who helped fight the Battle of New Orleans. Um, right. Lafitte was captured because of his slave trading activities, but was later exonerated by uh, by President Jackson for his help in helping to uh, defend the port of New Orleans. So even though it may have been stopped, uh, you know, legally. Um, um, uh, it may have been illegal in 1803. It was, it was abolished in 1803 legally. The slave right, but it was still being practiced. Flourished, right. flourished greatly in the United States after that. Um, well, I'll, I'll just have to make this point about it. Um, because it was uh, prohibited, we had a growth in the institution of breeding, especially in Virginia, breeding African-Americans, enslaved African-Americans, because it wasn't forced. So, you know, mm-hmm. we do have a history of breeding, so there must be a cause and effect. If you have breeding going on, then why are they breeding? Because well, it was no a, longer it slavery That made slavery um, something that was, um, you know, winked at, even though it was illegal. The invention of the cotton gin demanded more slaves coming into the United States, and which they did. They smuggled slaves into the United States through various means because it was essential to run the largest um, 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 item that made up for the gross national product, and that was cotton and uh, and sugar <clears throat> in Louisiana. So, um, you, know, you know, we're talking about the history of slavery and, you know, how it was you know, enacted United States and so forth. Um, right. But I, have I didn't, to also I didn't really come mentioned... prepared to talk about that because I thought that... Okay, but, I, but I have to mention this before before we move on. You mentioned yeah. um, President Jackson, and I'll, I'll share a post yeah. with you on Facebook. Lincoln also executed a white man for importing um, Africans into this country illegally, and I'll share that on Facebook with you. But let's go back. We deviate. I apologize to the audience. Let's go back to um, Jamaica, and no pun intended, and talk about the UN and what we can do to be included because myself, personally, I I would rather celebrate celebrate at the United Nations black abolitionists and black revolutionaries like Nat Turner, um, Mm -hmm. people from the Underground Railroad. And, you know, they're talking about people are victims of slavery. I'm really quite frankly tired of talking about being a victim of slavery. I think it's a disrespect to the people who helped, the blacks who helped end slavery. So my monument, they can really have that monument. I think if we were to fight for a monument, it would be one that would show someone like Matt Turner. So I'm going to let you guys take over from here. 
But one of the things we found out as we tried to get to the bottom of why we were not made aware of this event um, was that um, according to the resolution that was made by the General Assembly to, in uh, February 2008, in which um, uh, Ms. Stella Antley was uh, briefing us on, um, it, it, is, it was shown in this resolution that this was a event and a uh, um, um, a a program that was being overseen by the United Nations Educational Scientific and Cultural Organization. Um, we we know it as UNESCO. Um, they were the ones who were overseeing and undertaking this project. Um, so they were collaborating with the United Nations to um, um, to bring attention to this International Day of Remembrance of the Victims of Slavery and the Transatlantic Slave Trade. And they were the ones who were charged to establish a program of educational outreach to mobilize among other things, educational institutions and civil society on the subject of remembering the transatlantic slave trade and slavery in order to inculcate future generations with the causes, consequences, and lessons of the transatlantic slave trade and to communicate the dangers of racism and prejudice. So they were the ones, UNESCO was the one who was overseeing this project. They were the ones who supervised the, um, the Jamaican mission and its initiative to uh, raise this monument and to and to uh, collect uh, support, the raise support from the member states to bring it into a, a reality. So, having understood from the resolution that it was something that UNESCO um, was um, tasked to um, make known through its uh, um, initiative. Um, to um, to those uh, to educate those um, um, you know to, to provide a program of educational outreach um, through educational institutions and civil society. It was the UNESCO. This was supposed to be something that the UNESCO uh, um, uh, was to um, um, undertake. And having come to that understanding, I. I contacted UNESCO to find out who um, in the uh, mission, um, uh, who who was it in UNESCO that would be responsible in the United States of providing and carrying out this mandate. And I found out that the person, the cultural liaison in the Washington um, 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 uh, office, had resigned that position. And there was no one there that would be able to provide me with any information as to what uh, programs that had been established by that uh, office to carry out this educational outreach uh, to education institutions and civil society. So um, evidently the person that would have been in UNESCO that would have been the liaison to help inform traditional black colleges, churches, media, and so forth, had not been there to do so, and that subsequently there had been a gap um, that um, prevented this um, um, information to, get to, um, be, to, to be, to be uh, disseminated uh, to those who should have known about it. In other words, it would not have been necessary, as in your case, uh, Leslie, to have been somehow on a list or email list or somehow attached in some capacity to the UN to know about this. This would this would have been something. This would have been something that UNESCO would have uh, made known, according to the mandate outlined in this outlined in this resolution, um, would have made known to those of us here uh, in in the United States through the liaison. They had, uh, they have, or were supposed to be, uh, in their office, which I found out was non-functional. So 
in that respect, we had no one in UNESCO to represent our interests in this regard. Uh, and to uh, I'm still investigating this as to uh, you know who would who would that person be that would be tasked with carrying out this mandate to provide this educational outreach in order to mobilize education institutions and civil society on this subject remembering the uh, the transatlantic slave trade and slavery and okay. I think that's where uh, that's where the breakdown uh, begins and that's where uh, representation should be, and I think we're disliking. Okay. Now, I, I asked um, Ms. Antley this question. Do you think that we can prevent this from happening in the future by demanding that we have our own representatives in the United Nations, separate and apart from the American representatives? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Samantha Powers, who is the UN ambassador uh, for the United States, uh, could have disseminated the information. We don't know how long uh, the person at UNESCO has been away from his desk. There should have been an interim person that could have gotten this information. This is very rudimentary. I mean, we're right here in the United States, and if you can let people know in Jamaica about it, clearly you're in New York, there's Harlem, there's the Amistad, uh, Amsterdam News. There's no way we should have been overlooked. However, I, I, um, it makes I, me wonder whether uh, Samantha Powers has anybody I, on her staff that would, because you know, you know, she has a staff. Um, I would not expect someone with the uh, task with the responsibilities she has to interact with the uh, the world uh, community and the world assembly to be um, um, uh, proactive in every aspect of. Uh, the um, actions of UNESCO or the United Nations where it may impact on um, things of interest to the African-American community. And, you know, this is something that would merit uh, some investigation. You know, I I plan on doing that investigation. I want to know why isn't it that Samantha Powers, through her office, is not representing the interests of African-Americans? If there's anyone on her staff that should be, you know, is other African-Americans on their staff? What is your staff, who does her staff consist of um, that would have been, that would enable such um, a breakdown in this uh, education outreach not to, uh, you know, then it's uh, followed its course? Um, that's one, that's one, that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is going, uh, finding out where, it, where in UNESCO, who in UNESCO is representing the interests of uh, the African American community in the United States, so that this kind of uh, so that the mandate that they were tasked with in providing this uh, program of educational outreach on the on, on this matter, uh, you know, who is that person? You know, and if they don't have a person, why don't they have that person? And I think that once we bring this to attention and once we address this, that this may provide a way to correct uh, what we see um, has happened and possibly prevent or avoid this thing from happening in the future. You know, you can't unring the bell, and and history has a lot of parents, as they say. The devil is in the details. However, whoever, wherever, there was no way that anyone should have omitted the African-American community. So it's my... My uh, stance that we need uh, in in close proximity to the West Indian community representation at the United Nations. They have a a, a, um, development bill that is coming out for the uh, Jamaican members of the of the United Nations for uh, development. We don't have that. African Americans, we're suffering in abject poverty and. It's just the West Indians and the Jamaicans and the Caribbeans. And for anyone to send out a letter, they could have very easily included us in the salutation, dear uh, African-American, Jamaican, and Caribbean members. Why exclude African-Americans? Why even do that? And so it had to be deliberate. It was an intentional. I'll read this portion of the resolution. It says, welcomes the initiative of the state members of the Caribbean community to erect in the halls of the United Nations a permanent memorial in acknowledgement of the tragedy and the consideration of the legacy of, of slavery, the transatlantic slave. 
even that portion should have included African-American. Even though we're not a member of the United Nations, um, in the letter of the spirit of the law, we should have some sort of representation or co-chair, or maybe even if in, on this UNESCO committee, we can have someone at the United Nations that, that, uh, that, that is serving the interests of African-Americans because we have no one, we're, we're, we're a non-entity, and we seem to be a constituency of none. Uh, for the West Indians, because they happen to land in Jamaica, to have all this representation with African-Americans, and they don't want to bring us along with them, or they would have made sure we have received that same letter. So well, it that's would, it, would from, it would appear from the resolution that it was, as you read, uh, the initiative, this whole idea of the uh, the erection of this memorial was um, born from the initiative of the state members of the Caribbean community um, mm-hmm. to do this, and which is probably why they felt some sort of peculiar ownership or particular ownership for the project. Oh. And uh, but um, but I I I I agree that uh, regardless of whose initiative it was, it should not have been particularized to the extent where it would appear exclusive uh, to anyone who was not from the Caribbean community. And that is how it played out um, in uh, what happened um, in this um, slave trade um, unveiling. So what we're seeking is to see if we can get some sort of ad hoc chair or some some way of being a part of the United Nations uh, to represent an African-American interest, and we would like a rededication of that monument as far as trying to get them to erect the second monument of Nat Tanner or anyone uh, like Journey Truth or Harriet Tedman. I think that's wonderful, but we there's a monument there now that uh, they use the Haitian um, Leon was the um, was the architect. He was originally from Haiti, but he lives in America. They couldn't even find anyone to to do the monument. I guess there was a bid process, but an African American did not make the final cut. So everything about this monument is Caribbean based, and I think that's an insult. It's an atrocity, and 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 I I, I take umbrage to them wanting to erect anything and not have a very high presence of African Americans. And if we get that kind of recognition, it could bring us up uh, as far as our low self-esteem in this country. The purpose of the monument, they say, is that everyone that walks by it will, will remember and never forget. But they didn't even bother to invite us. So what well, does that know, say? When you look at the monument... Can you describe the monument? Can someone describe yeah, well, what the monument looks like? Uh, I, will, I will point out one um, <laughs> discrepancy about the monument as well as describe the uh, motif of the monument. Within the monument itself mm-hmm. is a depiction of a slave um, in the hold of a slave ship. And you can find this on the Internet, and you can find it if you're on Facebook on my uh, album on the about the um the, the, oh. slave trade, uh, the slave trade memorial mm-hmm. unveiling, where I've taken a number of pictures. But within that monument is a depiction of a slave in the hold of the ship, with um, um, dressed in white in a white cloth. Now, maybe slaves were taken in in the Caribbean like that, but the slaves that were bought in the United States were bought in chains, and they were not uh, dressed in any flowing white cloth or clothing at all. Um, and that's one of the um, discrepancies uh, that I found with what we saw or what we see there at the uh, monument is the depiction of a slave that doesn't depict the reality of the Middle Passage at all. And, exactly. you know, had, I been on that, had I been on that committee, I would have said, you know, this does not reflect reality that uh, those who were put in the hold of slave ships were so uh, adornly dressed. But the slave trade memorial itself is um, the motif of the slave trade memorial is um, a series of intersecting um, and um, architecturally designed uh, triangles. Triangles. Um, so you, you know, and on at every at every side, 
perfect dimension, um, you will see the motif of the triangle. Uh, everything is uh, is, is um, uh, on, the, on the triangular um, shape. And the reason why that is is because it's trying to emphasize the, the triangular uh, slave trade. You know, the slave trade, trade is a triangular, triangular um, trade between England, Africa, and Americas. Um, where they provided uh, the slaves from from Africa into the United States, where they would then uh, pick up uh, molasses, rum, or uh, sugar, and tobacco, and then take that to England um, and um, you know get uh, arms, ammunition, guns, and other um, commodities of trade to take back to Africa, where they would trade uh, in guns, mostly in guns and, and rum and other uh, mercantile um, um, goods in exchange for slaves. And so that was the triangle that was established, that established the uh, transatlantic slave trade. So that's why you see the motif of the triangle as you walk around the, the memorial and as you go inside the memorial, everything has that motif of the triangle. Wonderful. Before we close out, Stella, and you give give us your last thoughts, and we'll let you also um, give us your last thoughts, Doctor. Um, could you tell us um, your your feelings about the curriculum, which is coming mainly out of Texas, excluding the slave trade? And that they, I can't think of the new term they're using, but they uh, sanitized it, you know. And then we'll close out, you know, and tell the audience what call of action you want us to take, Stella. I'm sorry, I missed most of that. Some of you, I can't hear everything that's being said. But okay. I, I asked, you, what is you, your opinion as far as the curriculum, mainly coming out of Texas, their insistence on leaving the slave trade out or, or oh, renaming yes. it something else, where it doesn't even use the word slave, I think. They excluded the word slave. I slave. can't believe yeah. that, but what's going on? I don't know about Texas, but I do know that this teacher was fired from Howard University, one of the secondary schools on Howard campus, the HBC uh, campus, because she she was teaching black history. And to hear mm-hmm. any school dismiss you know, so um, I do believe that we uh, need to insist that they include our history we are not recognized in this country for having contributed anything except welfare fraud and um, and making babies, which uh, they feel, you know, they no longer need because they can't buy and sell us. However, what I would like to see done is that slavery and and um, it becomes a very part, a big part of of uh, curriculums in this country so that our kids will know about what happened to us. They're not interested in our past because they don't know of it. And if you don't know your past, you can't, you have to keep an eye on your past and an eye on your present. Even Queen Elizabeth saying, without your past, there's no future. And the monarchy thrives on bloodline. But we, our kids are just, they're lost. And that's because no one's teaching them. Uh, we here in Connecticut tried to get our African-American flag raised because kids drove by the state capitol where I worked for many years in politics and saw the um, Puerto Rican flag flying. So I've never seen an African-American flag. Well, the state capitol told us when uh, Ann Rich, uh, Ms. Richardson, uh, tri- Evelyn Richardson, headed it up and they said, well, we can't fly your flag because you don't represent a country and your flag is not a legitimate United Nations flag. Um, so the city hall here, uh, our mayor, uh, Pedro Cigar, he said, yes, I will fly it. So we had a whole flag waving uh, ceremony at City Hall uh, last year, towards the end of the year. So what I would like to see happen is that they recognize our flag. Maybe while we have a sitting black president, we fly it uh, over the state capitol, uh, also over the United Nations, and just start to build um, um momentum towards recognizing us at the United Nations, letting us co-chair if the Jamaican mission will, will let us or uh, because we're a nation within a nation and um, that's it. And of course well, I read that. The only thing of that. That I have to say and I won't take much of your time is that, that you know, this event that happened on March 25 this year um, was only the unveiling of the uh, memorial. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to press that we have 
the same day designated as a formal dedication of this memorial in which uh, we will play play a significant role and a major part. So that is where we are right now. This is where I'm, this is what my intentions and my um, goal is right now in, in going forward and in doing the investigations behind um, this whole affair um, that we can designate hopefully next year, March 25th, as the dedication of the memorial and where it will well, be open to... I, will be, my, will only, well my only objection to that date is, is that that is the... Um, Independence Day for Jamaica, March 25th. I think maybe we should work with maybe June 19th, which is Juneteenth in this country, which is more, you know, when we were freed in 1865. Um, but, it, it, you know, I'm just saying it should well, be more it relevant. Resolution, it says in the resolution that March 25th is the international day. This is not a day just for African Americans. It is an international day. We want to not exclude no one. Um, from this uh, dedication. You know, it's a dedication that commemorates the abolition of slavery uh, and the transatlantic slave trade. So, you know, they were, it, it includes, uh, uh, you know, everyone that comes under that uh, designation of having been a slave or a descendant of slaves. So, you know, that's a, that's a day that's already recognized as an international day, and we want to... And yet we've never been to one international... We didn't know anything about it until we found well, this, this resolution. Well, this is what so, we have to do. We have to address this, and I think that it's yes. appropriate that a day be... Uh, that this day be um, used as a dedication of what was unveiled uh, in, uh, at that memorial. And what are you, what's your view, Leslie? How do you see this? I want to thank you, Leslie, for this opportunity to bring this uh, before the public. Yes. Um, you know, uh, I think that uh, you know the more that we uh, bring attention to it, and and the more that the word gets out about this, that uh, awareness will be raised, and hopefully yes. we will get support going forward uh, with what we would like to see happen. Yes. Well, we want to engage I'm sorry. I was saying I was I was on I'm honored to have both of you on. Um you come okay. on anytime, you're welcome and you do an excellent job of uh teaching our listeners more about not just the subject that you, you initially want to talk about, but on a broader scale, which is important and, and is so much in depth. So I really appreciate you deviating at the last minute and expanding. Um because Thank I know you. I trust that you can do it. So I I really do appreciate you guys I I am supporting everything that you do. If you want to come back on and give us a follow up, you know, thank we'd you. Love to have you on. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Thank you very much. And uh, we invite the NAACP and um, all African Americans within the sound of our voice to get involved to find out why we were admitted and to see what they can do to help us going forward. All right. Excellent. And God bless both of you and have a good night. Thank, Thank you. you very Good much. Night. Good night to you as well. Okay. okay. Good night, Dr. Davis. Good night, uh, Mr. Emma. Still at me.